بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين This is our last session on the Quranic sciences As I said in the beginning the way we do it might be different from the way normally Quranic sciences are taught or the books which are written on the Quranic sciences. Uh, there are some discussions that are very common when you study Ulum al-Quran, for example, about the way the Quran was compiled, about whether the Quran, for example, was classified and then compiled in the time of the Prophet or after the Prophet, about uh, Nasikh and Mansukh and these type of issues, which are very important. But we, from the beginning, planned it in the way that we address mostly those issues which help us to better appreciate the Quran. Some of the technical discussions <coughs> are good, but they may not help you spiritually. Actually, if you become too much busy with them, they can be obstacle. What we wanted to decide, and some of the things that we, decided, uh, we discussed might not be available in other sources, was something that helped us to relate to the Quran better, to appreciate this great blessing of Allah that we have in the form of Quran, how to connect to the Quran, how to reflect on the Quran, how to recite the Quran with uh, contemplation and this type of discussions. So uh, if we didn't have some of those discussions, this was something that we mentioned at the beginning that that would not be our plan, but of course you are very much uh, encouraged to uh, study also those books and those discussions. In the last session, we talked about different levels for understanding the Quran. How should we go a step by a step? And the last point was that you should be able to understand the teachings of the Quran in a systematic way. So not only we should be able to understand every verse correctly by knowing each word as it is, then the way the word has occurred in the sentence. So for the first one, you need sarf, for the way the word is put in the sentence, you need nahf and balagha, And also to know what is actually finally meant, you need to know other verses of the Quran so that you know if this ayah has been modified by another ayah. For example, this was general, there is a specific, am and khas, or absolute, which is mutlaq, and muqayyad, which is conditioned or abrogating and abrogated. So we said you have to know the whole Quran so that you know whether Allah has meant this uh, sentence, this verse to be understood as his final message or this is the message that other messages have modified it. Yes. For Balagha, there are different books that we study in the Hosea. Uh, in the past, for example, you know, Mukhtasar al-Ma'ani was a very good book that we studied. Before that, they used to study Mutawwal, but Mutawwal is very detailed. So we used to study Mukhtasar al-Ma'ani. Uh, but there is also a modern book, Jawahir al-Balagha. So that is also a modern book uh, written in Arabic about Balagha. And then summaries of these books are also available. But I don't know if there 
any English translation of these books. But after you study Sarf and Naf, inshallah, you will study this in Arabic. Balagha, as you remember, is to make sure that you can convey the meaning in the most suitable form. For example, you remember I gave you an example of when emphasis is needed and how much emphasis is needed. Zaydun qa'imun inna zaydan qa'imun inna zaydan la qa'imun. All those things. Okay. After making sure that you understand from this verse what is the ultimate meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to convey to us, then we said, again, there is another step. And this is to put the messages that you get from different verses together and come up with a system. This is what we do in tafsir mawdu'i. Tafsir mawdu'i or thematic tafsir of the Quran needs tafsir of words and sentences, but it's not enough just to be able to interpret each word or each verse or each paragraph. It's not enough. You have to have acquaintance with the entire Quran so that if something related to the same topic is mentioned in the first chapter or in the 20th chapter or in the 90th chapter, you will be able to bring them together and shed all the lights on the subject so you can understand. For example, as we said last week, if you want to understand the Quranic system of education, what subjects we should learn? This is important. Whom we should ask for teaching us? What are the requirements for teachers? What are the etiquettes of learning? How should we try to put into practice what we learn? Okay? How to grasp what we have learned and develop certainty? These are issues that you have to find out from the Quran so that you can come up with a Quranic system of education. And as you remember, we said the people who want to do this, not only they must be very familiar with the Quran, but also they must be people who are involved in these topics. You know, one of the very beautiful points that help you in understanding the Quran is you go to the Quran with questions in mind. And you remember we had this discussion a few weeks ago, maybe a few, two, three months ago, that you should not impose your ideas on the Quran, but also you should not go empty-minded. What's the difference? Sometimes you have questions, and for the sake of understanding the truth, you go to the Quran, this is good. Sometimes in addition to having questions, you have already ready-made answers. And then you want to go to the Quran and just find backup for your own answers. This is not good. Because then you even maybe unconsciously try to interpret the verses of the Quran in the way that they confirm your understanding. It's not good. You have to be open. You have to be ready for learning. But it's not also good to be totally empty-minded if you don't know anything about education, you have not studied any book on education, you have not been involved in teaching, learning, okay? Okay, if you go to the Quran, you don't understand maybe anything or very little. Because you don't have question in mind. Okay? I give you this example. Maybe this an example can help you. It's a kind of analogy. If... I invite you for a meal to come to my home. Okay? I invite you for a meal to come to my home. And I want to prepare for you a banquet. How should you come to my home? <laughs> if you bring your own food, it's not respectful to me. 
Yeah? If you bring your own food, yeah? it's not respectful to me. Unless, for example, you know, there is no formality or you know, I myself you know, have told you, that's another issue. But normally when you are going for a banquet, you don't take your food. Okay? But in addition not to taking your food, I appreciate if you come without eating already something. If on the way to my home you have taken some pizza, I don't know, and some other things and come to my home, then your stomach is already full. You cannot eat from my food. Okay? So when we go to the Quran, which is Ma'adubatullah, as Hadith says, is Ma'adubatullah, it's the banquet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't take on your way some sandwich and some bites and go there. Go while you are hungry for truth. Not someone who says, I have a PhD or I have a master or I learned from this or that, you know. We have no problem, in, you know, uh, with these things. You can learn from anyone. But when you go to the Quran, don't bring all this stuff with you. Okay? Go with thirst. With search for the truth. Don't make your mind full. And then you say. So you understand the difference? You don't take with you. But also you, in addition to that, you have to be thirsty. You have to be hungry. When it comes to knowledge, what makes you hungry? What makes you thirsty? For food, you know how you become thirsty and hungry. But for knowledge, how do you become hungry and thirsty? Hmm? Yeah, how? Yes. Ah, question. Question is like appetizers. They open your appetites. A person with no question, I have no hope for his future. If a student comes to the class without question and leaves the class without question, without ideas, and on top of that doesn't do mubahasa, <laughs> no future. Yes? Question is very important. Our ulama love those students who have questions. You know, they call them mustashkil. So if you, for example, go to any uh, maraje or any great scholars in the Hose, there are always, you see, few people. These people have a special privilege. They are known that to be mustashkil of these stars. So anytime they stop, they, <laughs> they ask questions. And it is said that once one of ulama said, today our majlis, our lesson was majlis khatm. You know, Majlisa Khat, you know, Fatiha, you know, for Mayyat. They said, why? He said, because there was no question. There should be question, there should be discussion. Our ulama very much love to be questioned. Of course, it, question has its etiquettes and manners. But to have question is very important. A person who doesn't have question, then it's very unlikely that he becomes a great scholar. A person who doesn't have questions would not become a very good teacher or a speaker. You know who is a good teacher? A teacher, good teacher is the one that before he goes to the classroom, he can anticipate all the questions that might come to the mind of the students depending on their age and level. So if I am teaching aqa'id to young kids, or if I am teaching aqa'id to I don't know, teachers, to scholars. In all these cases, I have to be able to anticipate all the questions that may come to their mind. So I myself first deal with these questions, prepare answers for them, then I go to the class. But if no question comes to my mind, then I cannot be well prepared. If you write a book on a topic, you have to be able to guess and anticipate 
what are the questions that people who may read about this topic may have in mind and try to answer? Okay? But who can guess this? A person who is himself thinking all the time, who is thoughtful. We have this saying that husnu su'al nisful ilm. Half of the knowledge is to have good question. Okay? And one of the beauties of Mubahasa is that in Mubahasa we don't just read the text together. In Mubahasa one, of course both of them, for example, or three, whatever you know, is the number, two, three, four, all prepare themselves so well that they are able to teach. So they try to anticipate all the questions, everything, so that they can teach properly. And the others will ask questions, serious questions. If in Mubahasa you do well, inshallah, after some time you become a very good teacher. Because these are people who are in your level. You know, nowadays they have, you know, peer review when you write a paper. We have this habit of Mubahasa, it means that the people who are in your level, they challenge you. You know, then how much your mind would be sharper if you do mubahisa. Okay? So, when you go to, yes? You asked the sister in education. Let's talk about education. Is it theology only or is there many types of education? Uh, education in general and religious education in particular. So, when you go to the Quran to understand if you are a person of thinking, a person who has questions, then inshallah you will understand more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا فِينَا لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ سُبُولَنَا The people who struggle for our sake, we will certainly لَنَهْدِيَنَّهُمْ There is Lama Ta'akid and there is Nuna Mushaddad. Both of them is for Ta'akid and ulama say here Qasam is also Muqaddar. Means there is Qasam which is not mentioned but is meant. Yeah? We will certainly guide them Subulana, our path, our ways. And Allah is truly with the people who are doing well, doing good, benefactors. So, if you study, if you think, and then go to the Quran with open heart, with purity of the heart, do you think the Quran is not going to teach you? Quran is going to teach you. Even if a non-Muslim, with the search for truth, and with moral Commitment, go to the Quran, inshallah, benefit from the Quran. Yeah? Quran benefits the people to come to Iman. Quran benefits the people who have already Iman to go to the higher levels of Iman. Everyone can benefit from the Quran if we have right approach to the Quran. So, it's very important to have good questions. Then, the final a stage, now we go to the next stage, is to investigate the hidden or esoteric meanings of the Quran. Those meanings that are botany, esoteric, you know, internal, inward meanings. As you remember, we said in the past, Quran has zahir and batin. Yeah, outward and inward. No, this is hadith. And even the underlying layer has another layer which is more underlying. So there is batn for batn. Up to 70. Even we said 70 doesn't need, need, mean necessarily 69 plus 1. 70 means ma many. You remember we had this discussion. So, this stage is a stage 
that is very much based on a spiritual connection to the Quran. It needs great purity of the heart and great connection to the Quran so that you would be inspired to understand things that other people cannot understand. The first people who have this connection and this level of benefiting from the Quran are ma'asumin. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ahlul Bayt And we can learn from their commentaries on the Quran. But also pious ulama may understand things that other people cannot understand. But you have to be careful. Sometimes people come up with some ideas and they say these are isharat, these are you know hidden hints that I have understood. Some people say, you know, and you cannot understand. You say, okay, if you can understand, so that's good for you. I would not accept this unless you are able to show me how this can be understood from the Quran. If someone is ma'asum, that's another issue. Ordinary people, even if, for example, a person is mujtahid, that to be mujtahid doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with this side. If someone comes up with an idea which is botany, which is esoteric, which is mystical, it would be only acceptable to us if we have also our way of verifying it. Because it, there are many technical issues here, you know, the difference between mystical experience and the interpretation of the mystic of his own experience. Sometimes people have no mystical experience and they are just liars. Sometimes they really have mystical experience, but they are not able to interpret it properly. So when they want to interpret it, then they make mistakes. So for us to be safe, we do not follow anyone's ideas about the Quran unless either that person is ma'asum or there is a way to show how this idea is understood from the Quran. What is the methodology? And the minimum requirement, this is the least, it must be compatible with the literal meaning. I'm saying this is the least because among different interpretations that are compatible with the literal meaning, some of them may need extra evidence. Because maybe 10 people give you 10 interpretations of ayah, which is botany, and all are compatible, but there is no evidence for, to fill this gap from the literal meaning to the esoteric meaning, there is a gap. Not to be compatible is enough to reject. To be compatible is not enough to accept. Is it clear? So, if we want to believe, we need to have some hujja. The minimum is to be compatible, but this is not enough. If it's not compatible, we leave it aside. If it is compatible, then still we look for a hujja, extra dalil. So, we have to be very careful about this issue. We have this hadith which says, إِنَّمَا يَعْرِفُ الْقُرْآنَ مَنْ خُوطِبَ The only one or the only ones who know the Qur'an are the people who are addressed by the Qur'an. Some people, unfortunately, you know Akhbariyun? You know Akhbari movement? This is a movement that you should know about it more. I suggest uh, uh, we would have one session on Akhbari movement because this is not something not only in the history. Some people today are also trying to spread Akhbari approach, uh, which with all the respect to, that we have for some ulama who had Akhbari approach, but that approach is very harmful. Anyway, some people with Akhbari approach, they refer to these hadith like and say 
our understanding of the Quran is not valid and we can only refer to ma'asum. So we cannot actually benefit from the Quran by ourselves. Unless something is nas, if it is zahir, we cannot refer to the Quran. Zahir of the Quran is not hujjah. They say zahir of the Quran is not hujjah. We don't accept that. We say zahir of Quran is hujjah if you follow the linguistic rules. Zahir is hujjah. But the button is for manhute babe. The button, the esoteric meaning, is something to be taken from Rasulullah. Rasulullah from Ahlul Bayt, who are trained by Rasulullah. That is for Batin, not Zahir. But Akhbari want to say even Zahir, you cannot understand. You have to only refer to the Hadith. And we said before that we believe that it's possible for everyone to benefit from the Quran. And we have Tafsirul Quran, Ibn Quran, all these things that we had before. Okay. Allama Tabatabai also has a beautiful discussion about Tafsir al-Qur'an bil-Qur'an in the introduction to Al-Mizan and also in his book Qur'an in Islam. You know Allama Tabatabai has a book Qur'an in Islam. It's in Farsi Qur'an dar Islam, in Arabic Al-Qur'an fil Islam, also in English Qur'an in Islam. This book is a very good book. In this book and also in the introduction to Al-Mizan. He says, when Allah says Quran is kitab mubin, a clear book. When Allah says tabyan and lekulishay, this book is explanation for everything. Then how can the Quran itself be na'uzubillah something that we cannot understand? It's ambiguous. Something that is guiding you must be by itself clear. Yeah. So we don't accept that we cannot understand the Quran. And we only should refer to hadith. But what we say is, for the esoteric meaning, we refer to hadith. For the exoteric or literal meaning, we can try our best. But of course, we check hadith. If there is any hadith on the same ayah, on the same topic, we study those hadith. But it's not that without hadith, we cannot understand the Quran at all. Even... Uh, Shaykh Ansari rahmatullah alayhi, has a very good argument in his book Fara'idul Usul. He says, if you look at hadith themselves, you realize that Ahlul Bayt did not ask the Shia not to reflect on the Quran. It was quite opposite. For example, we have many hadith that if you receive some narrations from us, check it against the Quran. If it doesn't comply with the Quran, throw it at the wall. So if we were not able to understand the Quran, how could we check the hadith with, against the Quran? Or Imam Sadiq salam, for example, argues for the Shia from the Quran and says, ask me about the Quranic reference for what I teach you so that you are able to also discuss this with other people. For example, why we should do mass on the head and even part of head is enough when you wipe you don't need to uh, wipe all your head Imam Sadiq said because of ba in the ayah says doesn't say doesn't Ba is for al-saq. You have studied Nahw. One of the meanings of Ba is al-saq. Means to touch. To attach. Yes. So Allah says, Vamsahu biru'usako. Means your wiping should touch your head. Not to completely wipe. So Imam Sadiq is training Shia. Okay? That... This is the way you can argue from the Quran. Or for example, you know, about, there was a discussion uh, uh, about, you know, some mazahib said when someone is a thief, and after, of course, 
all the conditions are met. There are many conditions, but if all the conditions are there, the thief, which is proved to be guilty, and under all those conditions, his hand would be cut off. Okay? So there was a debate among different mazahib, different fuqaha. From where? Some people said, for example, maybe all head, uh, all hand, or up to, for example, elbow, or you know, rest. Imam alayhi salam, I think, uh, was Imam Jawad, if I'm not mistaken. Imam Jawad alayhi salam said, only fingers. Why? Because al masajid alillah. Masjid is for Allah. This is a place for sajda. Of course, you do sajda for all of this. But at least if someone has this much, he can do sajda. If you cut from here or from elbow, he has no place for sajda. Okay, this is a way to refer to the Quran and argue from the Quran. And there are many cases like this. Uh, in Rasail uh, by Sheikh Ansari, there are tens of pages about this idea of akhbaris and how he tries to de uh, you know, def uh, defeat and refute them. Okay, so this was the final point about the interpretation of Quran to reach the esoteric meaning I wanted to say. And at the end, I want to mention some of the qualifications that any exegete of the Quran should have. If you want to be a mufassir. Like I said last time, I don't want to discourage you when I say understanding and interpreting Quran is not easy. I don't want to discourage you. I don't want to make you frightened. But I want to say that please qualify yourself more so that you can better understand, better appreciate. Okay? I don't want to make it like, you know, uh, recitation. I don't want to make you frightened. But I want to say that why you don't go to the higher levels? Yeah? When you can be an alim, don't be satisfied just being a learner. And when you can be a learner, don't be satisfied to be a, a lay person. To be talib, muta'allim is better than someone who doesn't learn. But if you can be alim, why you don't try to be alim? Okay. Few qualifications are needed for anyone who wants to interpret the Quran. First, deep practical knowledge of Arabic. I say deep and practical. It's not enough just to pass your exams of Sarf and Naf. Sometimes you pass the exam, but you yourself better than anyone else know that you didn't learn anything. <laughs> okay? And even if you have learned anything, it's just for two, three days. You have to learn that much that even after years, when you read Quran, you can understand all the Sarfi, Nahvi, Balagi points about this. What was the example I gave you about learning this, about tools? Uh, like the mechanic. A mechanic should know all the tools so well that when he is under the car and there is no light and no way you know, to check, can say, give me the tool number four. That's it. He doesn't need. Or for example, if you are doing surgery, don't say, bring me all the you know, scissors and pieces and knives you know, so that I choose one of them, all the blades. You should know them so well that you know which one to choose exactly. You don't have a chance to make a mistake. So your knowledge of Arabic, including sarf, morphology, syntax, and rhetoric, balagha, should be deep and practical. If you read tens of books on swimming, and you cannot swim. What is the benefit? 
If you read tens of book on, for example, cooking, and still you cannot make food, what's the benefit? So when you study sarf and naf, you have to be analyze the verses of the Quran, the hadith, and you know, find out what structure it has, what role in the sentence it has, all these things. So this is A. Again, this is not to stop you doing what you are already doing. If you are doing even 10%, it's, it's good. We appreciate. But I want you to improve. So by listening to me, don't make 10% zero. Say, okay, I don't come to Jose because I'm not learning properly. No, this is not right. Okay? You have to improve. Not to stop even this little. Because even if you ca cannot have 50%, even 10% is better than nothing. But the problem is that it is just better than nothing. <laughs> Why you don't make it better than many other things? Okay? Even 1% improvement is appreciated. Okay. B. Good knowledge of logic. Mantik. At least the part of mantik which is about reasoning. You know, in mantik we have two subject matters. Who knows? What are the subject matters of mantik? Mu'arif and hujjat. Mu'arif is for defining the concepts. Hujja is for reasoning. Estedlal. Okay? At least this part which is for reasoning. You have to be very well acquainted with mantiq, logic. And you know, again, if you really learn mantiq, you understand that this is something that in your life you very much need it. I don't know if you have heard this story that uh, one person who studied mantiq after studying some time, he told his teacher, maybe his teacher was his father, I don't remember. Anyway, he told his teacher that uh, I don't see any benefit in mantiq. It's something that we only study in a school or hosa, but has nothing to do with our life. So his teacher said, you must study more. So he studied more, he studied very well, you know, he did mubahasa, everything. So this time he went to his teacher and said, everything is mantiq. People in the market, in the, I don't know, homes, in the, in the shops, they are all doing reasoning. Uh, sometimes they do good reasoning, sometimes they do bad reasoning, but everything is about mantiq. He said, now you have started learning mantiq. Many things, when you don't understand properly, say, this has nothing to do with my life. But when you understand, you realize that all your life is based on mantiq. Okay? If it is logical. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that is the introductory level, because that is introduction to mantiq. Then you have to go to more advanced books, because he gave some lessons on mantiq for university undergraduate students, but it was so well that it became a textbook. But for talabe, that's not enough. You should know more. Yeah, but that's a very good book. Three, in addition to Arabic, and when we say Arabic, we mean sarf, nahf, and balagh, and logic, you should also learn properly and in a very uh, applicable way, practical way, usul al-fiqh. So that you know the linguistic rules that pertain to understanding text. This is very important. One of the sciences that we have great heritage in the school of Ahlul Bayt 
even our brothers and sisters from other schools of Islam, they have not that much developed usul al-fiqh like us. In the beginning, they had good uh, development, but then for some reasons, it has stopped. But our ulama have developed usul al-fiqh so much. Even some people sometimes criticize. They say, you know, we have maybe put too much time and energy on usul al-fiqh. But I think as a science, there is no problem in putting as much as energy that you can. How much a Taliban needs to know, that's another issue. But the science, we should develop it. One of the uh, scholars, I don't know if you have heard, uh, uh, Mahdi Ha'iriya Yazdi, whose father was Sheikh Abdul Karim Ha'iri, who re-established the Hoza of Qom. His brother, Sheikh Murtaza Ha'iri, was a Ayatollah in Qom, teacher of many of our contemporary ulama. His brother also was a, a very learned scholar, but then he went to the West, and he started, in, uh, he was very good in Islamic philosophy, usul fiqh, but he also started doing Western philosophy, then he was teaching in McGill and other places, and he has uh, some books on uh, moral philosophy and on uh, metaphysics. When he shared with the Western academics ideas from usul al-fiqh, they were very impressed. Because many of the ideas that today in philosophy of language and in linguistics they deal with, our ulama have dealt with it in usul al-fiqh. Usul al-fiqh for fiqh is like logic for philosophy. It's very important. Principles of jurisprudence. It's the linguistic principles that you should apply in order to analyze the text. Inshallah, next semester, we will have usul al-fiqh. And uh, inshallah, I will be, inshallah, teaching you usul al-fiqh. And I think this would be one of the subjects that you very much enjoy. Some of you, when it finishes, enjoy. Some of them, throughout. <laughs> Those who are good students, enjoy throughout. Some people, when something finishes, they enjoy. Anyway, inshallah, you enjoy throughout. So, usul al-fiqh is the third science that you have to know. Because for tafsir, you need to have good usul al-fiqh. It's not only for fiqh. Any, any science which is based on a scripture needs usul al-fiqh. Four, you need to know some aspects of ulum al-Quran. I'm not saying all of it is needed for tafsir. But, for example, about muhkam and mutashabih, nasikh and mansukh, asbabun nuzul. You know asbabun nuzul? Uh -huh. You know, sometimes there was an incident after which the ayah was revealed. That incident does not limit the ayah, but gives you a kind of insight to the ayah. Yeah? Because the ayah is not only for that reason, but the ayah should be interpreted in the way that can explain that incident. Okay? For example, if you know when this ayah was revealed, When a sinful person brings you a piece of news, you must investigate. If you know the story, because, you know, one person who had, unfortunately, selfish interest brought a bad news that, for example, this tribe, they don't want to, I don't know, pay zakat or whatever. He wanted to gain something from this by starting a war. You have to be careful. If you hear something 
even if it is from a famous news agency or satellite channel or TV station, you shouldn't believe. If that source is a reliable source, then you accept. Otherwise, you just put it under question mark. Okay, so you know, should know these aspects of ulum al-Qur'an. Five, great familiarity with the entire Qur'an. This is very important. To be able to tune yourself to the language of the Qur'an. Do you know tuning? How you can tune? For example, uh, sometimes you tune your radio. Sometimes you tune your music instrument. Okay? Pardon? Yes. So, you have to tune yourself to the language of the Quran. Okay? So that you start understanding. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if, for example, our uh, voice is recorded and then it is played too fast or too slowly, we don't understand anything. Okay? If it is not too fast or not too slow, we may still understand, but we would not enjoy. If it is the balanced pace, you understand and you enjoy. Okay? If I take you to a park, very beautiful park, and in 30 seconds I bring you out, you don't enjoy. And if I take you to the park and keep you there for 30 days, Again, you will not enjoy. I should find the balanced pace. Okay? So, it's very important to find the balance and to tune yourself. If you tune yourself, your heart, your mind, to the Quran, then you will enjoy. You will understand. Okay? Point six. A mufassir of the Quran also should refer to the hadith. Even if we believe that Quran, yufassar, part of the Quran, interpret another part of the Quran, but still, whenever hadith is available on verse or on a topic, you should refer to the hadith, as you have to refer also to the books of other mufassarin. Don't say, because I can in theory understand by myself, I don't need to refer to the hadith. No, not only you have to refer to the relevant hadith, you have to refer to any literature about this ayah. You cannot say, I don't want to refer to any books on tafsir. This is not a scholarly approach. Who is a scholar? A scholar by you know, implication is the one that appreciates a scholarly job of other people. Yeah? If you are a scholar and you don't appreciate what other scholars have produced, so it means that you have no value for yourself. Yeah? If I am, say, I am a medical doctor and I have no interest in knowing what other doctors are doing, it means that you don't appreciate your own work. Point seven. Can we say knowledge of hadith? Yes. So at, at least reference to the hadith which relate to the same ayah or to the same topic that you are. Point seven. Consulting the works of other exegetes of the Quran. From the time of the Prophet up to now. But. Maybe there are hundreds of books. I'm not saying you have to refer to hundreds of books. There are some books of tafsir that if you refer to them, you can be almost sure that everything good is there. For example, if you refer to two, three tafsir, like for example, Al-Mizan, okay? And maybe for example, Tafsir Nemuneh, maybe another tafsir, for example. You know that whatever good things Shia, Sunni, Mufassirin have said are there. So 
if you are not going to be a mufassir of the Quran, maybe you don't need to study more than two, three tafsir. But at least study two, three tafsir of the ayah. Even if you know Arabic, you know logic, you know usul uh, al-fiqh, still you must see how other mufassirin have interpreted this ayah. This is very important. And then, point eight, if the issue that you are trying to understand from the Quran and come up with Quranic interpretation about that ayah is in need of some secular knowledge, then you should also try to understand that discipline. For example, you want to understand the Quranic view about economics. Okay, so you should know also study some economics. Or for example, about psychology. So you have to understand also psychology. About, for example, what is Quranic view about banking? So you should know something about banking. So sometimes there is a secular subject and you want to know what Quran offers about that subject. So you yourself have to be familiar because as we said, you have to have questions Good question, and these good questions come if you are familiar with the subject. And again, at the end, I would like to emphasize once again on being open. Openness is very important. Afaman sharahallahu sadrahu lil Islam. Is the one that Allah has opened up his chest. Therefore, he has light. Is it the same as the person who has no light? And he, but the Quran doesn't say the other side so that you yourself understand by comparison. But just says, woe to the people whose hearts are hard. And they cannot remember Allah. So the heart should be opened. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the end of this course to inshallah enable us to choose the Quran, adopt the Quran as our real friend in the Quran, in the in dunya, so that inshallah the Quran can be our shafi in the hereafter, on the Day of Judgment. May Allah give us the ability to understand, inshallah, the Quran properly, to implement the Quran, and to share the beautiful teachings of the Quran in our words and in our deeds with the other people of the world, inshallah. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillah rabbil alameen.